This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Jimmy Lucero of Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Hope that you guys had a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. I had a great Christmas. We were able to go home to my hometown in Roswell and uh, spend a couple of days there. It was great seeing all the family. I just, I just want to give God glory for this real quick because God did something amazing while we were there. And, and I tell you this, uh, not to be bragging on, on anything that me and my wife Amy are doing or anything like that. It's all God, but I am the only one in my family that serves the Lord. And so I went from one extreme to the other. I went from living in the world to, to smoking, to drinking, to doing drugs, and doing all of the things that I did to finding the Lord at, at, at 18 years old. As soon as I graduated high school, I gave my heart to God, and, and I immediately, without hesitation, I just jumped in. When I walked into a church for the first time, literally the first time in my life, at 18 years old, I walked in and I could have told you Genesis and Revelation, and those are the only books of the Bible that I knew. I didn't even know that there was other books that existed. I thought that uh, that was the beginning and the end, and that was it. And so I'm the only one in my family that serves the Lord, and I jumped in with, with both feet and just started chasing after God with everything that I had. And so now that was 15, 16 years ago, and, and I went even more extreme into just serving the Lord and, and loving on the Lord and, and worshiping Him into being called into the ministry. So the first member in my family to be called into ministry and be serving the Lord and Amy and I, just, we just live our life out. We, we don't go home and preach, and we don't tell them you guys are, are sinners and you need to put that, that beer down, and we, we don't do any of that. We just love on my family and be an example to them. About a year ago, my, my grandmother, my mom's mom, passed away around this same time of the year, just a couple of days before Christmas. And so it's a really difficult time. Whenever you lose your parents, it's a difficult time, but when it happens during a holiday, every year that holiday will bring memories. And so every year, my grandma would come to my mom's house, and we'd have Christmas with her there, and, and towards the end of her life, she started to get to where we, she couldn't come over to the house as much, and so sometimes we would go to her house for lunch or dinner and just hang out with her. Well, then when she passed away, that tradition ended, and grandma was no more with us anymore, and we, we couldn't see grandma. And so we decided we're going to start a new tradition and somebody had to take the reins and say, this is what we are going to do as a family. And so rather than sitting at home on, on Christmas Eve and doing nothing and my mom uh, feeling bad and, and missing my grandmother and, and locking herself in the room, what I decided to do with, with Amy's encouragement was, hey, why don't we all go to church on Christmas Eve? And I tell my mom this, and at first she says, um, I don't know, you know, we kind of do our own thing here, and I'm not sure. And I told her, it's going to be great, let's, let's just go. It's my old church that I went to in Roswell. And she finally says, okay, well, we'll see what happens, but not everybody's going to go. And I said, I know, but if you come, I'm fine with that. And so a couple of days go by, and then my, my older sister calls and she says, hey, so what's the plan for Christmas Eve? And I said, well, how about if we go to church? And she says, I don't know, because we've got this party with this family at this time, and it's the same time the church starts, and we're going to miss this, and then we're going to got to do this. And all these excuses kept coming up. And I finally, I just said, you know what, let's, let's start a new tradition. Let's do something new, something different in our family, rather than the same routine over and over and over. And so Christmas Eve comes, and the service starts at 6 o'clock there at the church. And at about 4.30, all my family says, so what time do we have to be at church at? 
And I said, well, it's a pretty big production that they're doing. And so I suggest that we're there at least at 5.30. And of course, you know, them not ever going to church, they kind of look at me like, you want me to go to church and you want me to go early? <laughs> I know, it's like a, a, like a new thing, like showing at church on time. That's weird. And then so, um, so we get there early at 5.30, my, my wife and I, we get there early and we try to save our seats and we find out that all of my family is coming. And so I'm like, this is awesome. How many seats are we going to need? And we need 14 seats. And so I'm like, this is great. So on Christmas Eve, all 14 family members of my family went to church on Christmas Eve. Now that, that is God. That is something just to brag about on how God moves and, and how he can use us in our lives. And sometimes you don't even have to say anything. Sometimes just living your life out is enough. It's enough Bible for somebody to change their lives. There's an old saying that says, at all times preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Your life is the gospel. Your life is what is going to minister to people. You can say things over and over. You can quote scripture left and right, and people won't care what you know about the Bible until you show them how you live your life. Amen? That's something free. That's not even in my notes. John chapter 6. At this, at this point in Jesus' life, he's preaching to a crowd of about 5,000 people. In Scripture, it says there's 5,000 men. It doesn't say anything about the women. So there could possibly be even more than 5,000. We don't know for sure. He's ministering to 5,000 people, and this crowd is following him everywhere that he goes. At this point in his ministry, Jesus is the most popular he has ever been. People were coming from different communities, from different areas, from different regions, just to come and hear him minister, to hear him speak the word of God. And so he has this group that is following him around and seeing all of these blind people get healed and people that were mute were able to speak, people that are deaf could hear and people were growing legs that never had legs and people could stand up and walk. And all of this stuff was going on in Jesus' ministry and this is the most popular he had ever been speaking to these 5,000 people right now. John chapter 6 and verse 5 is where we're going to pick it up. At this point, everyone's being inspired by his teachings, and it says in verse 5, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus, at this point, he looks, and he, he looks out into the crowd, and he kind of puts his hands, and he says, I'm just going to guesstimate, but that looks like about 5,000 people out there. Philip, we've been feeding these people spiritually for days now. We've been filling them up. They, they are very mature, fat Christians, because we have filled them up with the word of God. Now he looks at Philip and he says, I bet you these 5,000 people that have been following us, I bet they're hungry. What do you think that we should get them, Philip? What do you think? We've got to put some, some food inside of their body. And so he turns to Philip and asks, what should we feed them? Reading on in verse 7, Philip answered him and said, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Philip responds to Jesus, and, and I, could, I couldn't imagine this, but you know what the crazy thing is, is we all do this. Philip has an excuse. He puts Jesus inside of a box and says, um, that would take half a year's salary to buy enough bread for them just to have one by each. Jesus, that's, that's crazy. We, just, we can't do this. 
And how many times do we do this when Jesus says, hey, I want to do this in your life, and you're like, oh, that's not really me. That's not my personality. I don't, in a way, in a roundabout way, what Philip is doing and what we do at times is we say that Jesus is not capable of doing that in our lives. And we put him inside of a box and say, you're a good God, you're a big God, but this is all that you can do. This is all that you're capable of doing. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Andrew comes along, and, and to me, I'm like, I wonder how Jesus' response was, because he's having this conversation with Philip of, Philip, hey, do you think that we can get some food for these guys? And then here comes Andrew and just like butts into the conversation. is like, whoa, 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 wait, hey, hold, hold on. There's, there's this kid over here that he was sitting on his front porch, Jesus. And when the 5,000 people were walking by, he turns and he looks at the crowd and he says, wow, look at all those people. They must be following the man that I've heard about, the man that everybody's been talking about. This is crazy. I want to go with them. So little Timmy goes inside and says, mom, can I go follow the crowd? And she says yes, and he's walking outside, and before it's the long arm of mama reaches out and pulls him back and says, you got to take a sack lunch though, son. And packs his little backpack and puts five loaves of bread and two fish in there and, and pats him on the behind and says, now go have fun. Go follow the 5,000 people. And so the little boy goes off, and, and he, he takes the, the loaves of bread, and Andrew says, there's a little boy over here who has five loaves of bread, two small fish. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. Can you imagine this little boy? Like, the, what would have happened if you were the little boy? He's just sitting on the porch, sees Jesus walk by, says, I want to follow them. Mama packs him a sack lunch. He's following the crowd of 5,000 men, and then Jesus walks up to him and says, Can I have your lunch? Can you imagine this little boy's response? Like a normal little boy would have been like, eh, oh, this is mine. But this is Jesus right in front of him, so I'm sure he was like, yes, sir. And he gives it over. Well, Jesus takes the bread, he prays over it, he gives thanks for the bread and the fish, it multiplies, and the Bible says that they were every single person had so much food that there were baskets left over. That All this food just multiplies this miracle that Jesus does and all, and all of these fans of Jesus are there and they see him do this miraculous thing right in front of their eyes and the Bible says that there was so much that they had to, to, to pick up food that was left over. After dinner, they, they have their full and dinner comes around and, and these guys are, are hardcore fans of Jesus now. They see him doing some major miracle things and his his teachings are just blowing their minds nobody has ever taught like this before about the kingdom of God and so these hardcore fans of Jesus after they get their full of dinner they decide you know what we we just enjoy being around him so much we're going to camp out and we're going to wait here overnight so that when we wake up Jesus will be right next to us because we're fans of Jesus we want to be right where Jesus is and so they throw their, their tents out, they throw their, their mats down, they start sleeping, they go to sleep. At that point, Jesus crosses the lake. He crosses the lake and he goes to, to pray and go to minister across the lake, and then morning time comes. By the time they find him, when the person wakes up, I can imagine this one person, just one man wakes up, 
and the morning time comes and stretches out and, oh, that was a good night's sleep. I'm so glad I'm with Jesus. Man, that meal, whoo, that was something else. Let's go find Jesus. Let's see where Jesus is. And so they go and they start looking around trying to find Jesus. By the time they find him, breakfast is done. Lunch has come around. Go with me to John chapter 6 and verse 25. We're going to skip a couple of verses there. Verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? This man that stretches out and is like, man, that was a good meal. He goes up and he says, Rabbi, teacher, Jesus, we found you. It took us a little while. We crossed the lake. Somehow we got across the lake and, and got on some boats and we crossed this, this big, huge, massive lake and we found you over there. When did you get here, Jesus? We didn't even know that you left. Verse 26, Jesus answers and says, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for God not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Now, one of the things that I really enjoy doing Whenever I read scripture, I have a, I have a massively huge imagination. And, and I, I really enjoy movies. And so my mind, just the way I work, is I play it out in real life and create this movie scene all the time, which might be why I am a youth pastor, because of a huge imagination. And so what I do is I, I, I imagine all of this going out and, and everything that's going down. One of the other things I like to do, though, is to look up in another translation, what that scripture says. Just, just to see, out of curiosity, how does another translation do this? And so I'm going to read real quick out of the message. Same verse in verse 26. Out of the Message Bible, Jesus answered. It says, you've come looking for me, not because you saw God in my actions. Jesus says, you came looking for me not because you saw God when I performed the miracle of somebody walking, the miracle of, of all the loves, the miracle of all the bread, the miracle of people being healed, the miracle of teaching the way that I have been teaching to you. Jesus says, you've come looking for me not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you, filled your stomachs, and for free. Now that would be a pretty big blow if you ask me. It's for, for us to come up to Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, I found you. And he looks and says, you're not after me. You're after the food. It's basically what Jesus told them. Right at that point, Jesus looks and he realizes and he understands and he knows the people were not after him because they loved him. They weren't after him because they were followers. They were after him because of what he could do for them. They were after him because of the blessings. They weren't after him because he was Jesus. They were just fans. At that point, they determined the relationship that they have with Jesus. And they determined that they were fans. Now knowing this, it, it makes me wonder this. Are we like that? And I'm not, I'm not saying just you. I'm saying myself. I'm saying all of my family, you sitting down in your chair where you're at, it, I'm, not, I'm not talking about you your kids, because that's one, of, one thing that I think that as adults we sometimes have a tendency to do is we'll hear something and we'll go, Junior needs to hear this. But I'm talking about you as an individual. Do we act like this? Are we chasing Jesus because of what he can do for us instead of because we love him.
are we just fans? Let me define what a fan is to you. I've got a slide for you. This is, this is what a fan is that will come up on the screen here. That is a hardcore fan right there. A hardcore fan, I'm going to give you some definition here. A hardcore fan is an enthusiastic admirer. Somebody who is willing to go out in the snow, rip off their shirt with their face painted, screaming and yelling, even though that it's like minus 37 degrees outside, and they will keep on screaming and hooting and hollering for their favorite team. A fan is, is somebody who knows every person on the roster's name. They know their first name, they know their last name, they know what college they went to. Sometimes you go even extreme as you know what high school they went to. If you're a big enough fan that you know what elementary school they went to, you're just weird and there's something wrong with you. But a major fan knows all of the statistics. They know where they played in college, they know their strengths, they know their weaknesses. I am, myself, I'm a huge, huge fan of the New York Giants. No comments. (laughs) No comments after service. I know we're doing horrible this year. But I am a huge fan of the New York Giants. I have t-shirts. I have jerseys. I have hats. We, we We got our new chairs in for the church. Praise God. We're fixing to start moving in that direction. Well, I didn't want to scratch my hands because I'm delicate. And so I, I went and I got my work gloves. And I pull out my work gloves to move all these chairs And Pastor Oscar looks at me and says, wow, I didn't know that you were that big of a fan. I said, dude, I'm hardcore. Even my work gloves have the logo of the New York Giants on it. I'm a massively huge fan. One One of my dreams, and I have told Amy this before, one of my dreams is to someday fly out to New York and see the New York Giants play in their New Jersey Stadium, a home game, and just watch the Giants play in New York is one of my biggest goals and one of my biggest dreams. But the thing is, is I'm just a fan. That's all I am. Because I, I'm never going to be in the game. I'm never going to be sitting there watching preseason and watching them warm up, just sitting on my couch, eating a bowl of stew and a Pepsi, and then all of a sudden my phone ring, and it's going to be the coach on the other end saying, Jimmy, I need you to suit up, man. We need you right now. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm a pretty good water boy. I could do that. But I'm never going to get that phone call. I'm never going to break a sweat and take a hard hit on the field. I'm never going to do that because I'm just a fan. There is nothing required of me because I'm just a fan. There is nothing I can do that will determine whether we win or lose the game. I'm just a fan. I'm not even in the game. All that's required is for me to cheer. A couple of bad seasons go by, and I know all about that with the Giants here lately. A couple of bad seasons go by, and this is what a fan normally does. Is when we won the Super Bowl, I was the number one fan. I came in here in my jerseys and my hat, and I was like, what? Say something, what? Then the next season, we're so-so. We make the playoffs first round, and we're out. I'm quiet. The next season, we win like nine games. Don't make the playoffs. Don't say a word. This season, we lose six in a row. There is no chance we're going into the playoffs at all. 
I haven't said a word to anybody. <laughs> I hadn't even worn my Giants hat this year. But a fan will do that. A fan will cheer and hoot and holler when things are going good, but when things are going bad, we, we have a tendency to start to pull away a little bit. And we, we, start, we start to kind of, well, I, I'm okay, you know, when the Giants are playing on TV. You know, before when it was our Super Bowl reign and we were going, you know, we would go home and, and we would take people out to lunch from church or we would go out with friends afterwards. And I'm sitting there on my phone and Amy's like, you need to order. And I'm like, uh-huh. Just watching the score, trying to see, are we winning? Are we losing? What's going on? Who made a touchdown? Now, as a fan, the season isn't going so well. Now I go to lunch after church, and I get home, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know the Giants were playing at one. I didn't even realize that. (laughs) It snows one Sunday morning, and the girls are like, Dad, Dad, can we go make a snowman? And I'm watching the game. I'm watching the Giants play. We're already losing by like 34 points. I'm like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Just gave up. I, a fan will do that. A fan will, will slowly start to withdraw when they show on TV. It's, it's okay if you miss them from time to time because more than likely we're going to lose anyways. So why watch them? I'm just a fan. My question is, are we like that? Are we just part of the crowd? I'm just a fan, I'm just part of the crowd, but are we like that with the things of God where you're just a fan of Jesus and you're just part of the crowd? I go to church. Just because you come to church, guys, and this this may hit you, just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just like standing in your garage doesn't make you a car. There's more to it than just showing up at church. You got to be in the game. You've got to be participating. It's not a spectator sport. When you're a fan of Jesus, when you're just a fan, you'll cheer him on when things are going good. You'll cheer him on when things are going your way. You'll worship him when you're getting blessed. You'll praise him when something happens the way that you wanted it to happen when you're just a fan. So many of us, we've got the Christian t-shirts. It says, I'm a fan because I have a Christian t-shirt. So many of us, we have a Bible. But there is so much cobwebs on that Bible that's been sitting on your dresser for months. Somebody go, "Uh uh-oh. It's more than being a fan of Jesus, guys. Being a fan is when things don't go your way. You start to pull away from the things of God. When you start praying for something and for some reason God does not give that to you, you start pulling away saying, well, I guess God doesn't love me. I guess God didn't want me to have this. I guess God, you know what, it might not be God. God knows you better than you know you. God knows what is right for you. God knows what is best for you. And God knows if you can handle that blessing right then and there. And so many times we'll ask and say, well, but I want this. And he doesn't give it to you. So we start to pull away a little bit. We stop worshiping because we're not being blessed the way we think we should be. And here's here's a crazy one. When there's events, things going on in the church, whether it's church on a Sunday, church on a Wednesday, you're okay not participating. You're okay just showing up and just sitting back, watching everybody else do the Christian life. It's more than that, guys. Get this, if you're you're taking notes, 
Write this down. If you're not taking notes, just let it get on the inside of your heart. A fan, when you're a fan of Jesus, a fan knows about Jesus, but a follower knows Jesus. When you're just a fan, you know about Jesus. You know what he's done. You know what he died on the cross for. You know that he rose again. You know these things, but you don't know who Jesus is. You don't know the desires that he has for your heart. You don't know what he says about you in the word. You don't know the blessings that he's just waiting for you to say, okay, God, I give you everything so that he can just throw it out on top of you. Someone that's a fan knows about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Someone that's a fan, they want to get close enough to Jesus that they receive the blessings, but not so close that it requires any change in their life. That's a pretty rough one. Is that, is that, I have to check myself too. Is that where I am? Is that where you are? That I'm a fan of Jesus enough that I want the blessings of God, but not so much that I have to change my lifestyle. Not cho- so much that I have to change the way I talk, the way I act to people. You mean I even got to change what I do with my finances? I have to give them my tithes and offerings. I just want you to bless me. I don't want to do anything for it. I just want the blessing. Fans just want to be close enough to get the benefits, but not so close that it requires them to do anything. But here's the thing. Jesus is not interested in us being fans. Jesus is not looking for fans of his. He wants us in the game. He wants us to participate He knows it's not a spectator sport. I I remember growing up and, and, you know, they had the big fight last night. The UFC and MMA is the real big thing right now. When I was growing up, UFC and MMA was non-existent. It, It was kind of an underground thing. Nobody really talked about it. Nobody really did it. I didn't even know about it until I was after, out of high school already, is when it really started making mainstream. And so I was really into another barbaric, manly, kind of sport. I liked boxing. I was really big on boxing. And I had two guys, and and most of you guys are going to remember this, but I had two guys that were my favorite boxers. We'll throw them up on the screen. These are two of my old-time, old-school favorite boxers. You guys remember that Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield? You remember when Mike Tyson got a little nuts and, and a little hungry and wanted a snack in the ring? Took a little chunk of Evander's Holyfield. It, I could have gone more graphic, but I thought I'd be nice with that one. But I, I, remember, I remember growing up watching those two guys and thinking that they were just incredible athletes and incredible people. Well, one of them was an incredible person. Mike, we're going to pray for him. But anyways, I, I remember watching these guys all the time. And so I had this friend of mine. His name was Isaac. Isaac lived across the street from me, and, and him and I grew up together in if you can imagine it, when we were in junior high, freshman year in high school, we were actually the big kids. And I, I am not small, I'm not big now. Like, I stopped growing my freshman year and everybody passed me. But when I was a freshman, I was a big boy. Kind of weird. All 105 pounds of me in, in junior high. And so we decided that one day we are manly men and we're, we're going we're gonna to go to the store and we're going to get some boxing gloves. So me and my friend Isaac, we go to the store and we get boxing gloves. And we decide that we're going to have a boxing match, me and him. So we gather up our friends 
and we go into his front yard because my mom would have killed me if she known what I was doing. So we went to his front yard and we get the boxing gloves on. And we have all these friends that are around us. We've got a referee. We've got one guy that's blowing the whistle. We've got one guy with a stopwatch. I mean, we're going like hardcore. So we've got our gloves on, and we're sitting there looking at each other, and we're like, all right, let's go. And he says, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. Let's make some rules. Let's do this right. Let's make some rules. And I said, cool. You make one rule. I'll make one rule. And he says, all right. So I said, what's your rule? And he says, um... I don't really want to get hit in the stomach and like start bleeding out of the mouth. So he said, whenever we hit each other, let's go about 75, 80%. I was like, yeah, that sounds good. I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I didn't want to kill him. I, we just wanted to have fun. And so I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And he says, all right, there's my rule. So what's your rule? And I said, you cannot purposely directly hit in the face because I'm too pretty. <laughs> and he says, he says, all right, that's cool. And so we get there, and we're getting ready to the box, and the guy blows the whistle, the stopwatch starts, and we're just going at it. We're just like, you know, going half, and we're just playing around, messing with each other, hitting each other in the shoulder, and, and in the chest, and in the stomach, and just, we're just having fun with each other. Well, for some weird reason, my friend Isaac decides that as I'm standing there thinking that I'm cool and bobbing and weaving and, and looking all professional and stuff, he decides to throw one pretty, pretty solid punch, and he goes downward like this. At the same time that he goes down, I go down to duck, and he nails me right in the nose. I mean, he just popped me. And if you've ever been hit with a punch or a basketball or just banged your nose on something, it's one of those that he got me like instantly I tasted blood. And for some reason, I started crying. Like, I was... <laughs> I wasn't crying because I got punched, but you know, you get hit in the nose and your eyes water up and you're just like, oh, and so he nails me and he gets me good enough that I'm like, and so I get my composure. He stops for a little bit and he's just watching to see my reaction. Well, my reaction is it's on. And so I get my composure and so I'm just, I, after that, I start studying him, and I watch to see how he moves and the way he moves, and I'm just looking at him, and I'm just throwing a couple of jabs, and I throw a little hook, and I'm just like, ha, 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 this is fun, boy, better watch out. And so I, I'm looking at him, and, and I see and I notice that every time I throw a left hook, he would duck. He, I, I would always go over his head. So I'm like Retaliation City. Here I come with a mean combination. So I come up to him, and I set him up for it, and I'm throwing a couple of jabs, and I throw my hook, and he ducks, and as he does, I go, bam! <laughs> Just a mean old uppercut, and I nailed him right, like, right on the bridge of his nose. And it was one of those things that it was like, I nailed him. I mean, it was just like, whoo, and it hits him, and he goes, <laughs> all the way out. I mean, he doesn't catch himself on the floor. He just like, bam, right on his back. And so everybody there normal reaction would be like, oh, man, Isaac, are you okay? Normal reaction would be for me to be like, dude, I'm, really, I wasn't, but dude, I'm so sorry. This is great. That would be normal reaction. Instead, this, this, is, this was what my reaction was up here on the screen after I nailed him with that mean old hook. Oh, no, not that one. <laughs> that would have been mean. Next one, please. There we go. That was my reaction after I nailed him. I was like, you! And I just thought, and, and I thought I was cool because 
he is, he is out, like he is out cold. And so I thought I was Muhammad Ali, and I was just like, and I was just floating around, you know, and I, I, I was so crazy. I even said his little, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I was like, yeah, get up, round two, come on. And I was, I was ready to go with this guy. Well, he was out. He was gone. There was nothing that he could have done. I just nailed him so hard. One of the things that I noticed about boxing so much, and you may be like, what does boxing have to do with Christianity? Hold up. We're going there. One of the things that I noticed about Christianity, or about boxing rather, is um, when they train, there's a lot of jump ropes, there's a lot of running, there's a lot of cardio, there's a lot of lifting weights, but one of the most popular things that a boxer does is they shadow box. If you don't know what shadow boxing is, I'll explain it real quick. Basically what they do is they put you somewhat close to a wall. And they shine a light from behind, whether it's the sun or a spotlight or anything like that. And it'll cast your shadow under the wall or on the floor or something like that. And shadow boxing, the purpose of it is for you to go up and you to try and hit your shadow. Now, here's a revelation for some of you guys. What you do, your shadow does. And so the object is to try and hit your shadow, but at the same time, you not get hit by your shadow. And so you're constantly just kind of doing all of this stuff and, and trying to box and doing all of this shadow boxing and stuff. And so that's what shadow boxing is. That's how a lot of them train. Now watch this. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. You may be like, what on earth does shadow boxing and boxing and Jimmy's friend Isaac getting knocked out have to do with anything on Christianity? It has absolutely nothing to do with it. I just wanted to brag that I knocked him out. I'm just kidding. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 26, it says this. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. Even in scripture, in the New Living Translation, it says, I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. You know what that means? There's a lot of fans of Jesus that are living this Christian life. And they're going through all the motions. They're boxing in this Christian life. But in reality, they're not doing any damage whatsoever. That's what shadow boxing is. is you're, you're doing all the boxing moves. You're getting tired. You're sweating. But you're not hitting anything. You're shadow boxing. In Christianity, there's a lot of Christians that are doing this. They're living out this Christian life. But they're doing no damage whatsoever. They're just shadow boxing. They're going through the motions and everything looks good on the outside, but on the inside, there's nothing going on. I believe these are some of the questions that we have to ask ourselves. Am I a fan? Am I a follower? Am I just shadow boxing in this life, in this Christian life? You know, the, with, with Muhammad Ali, his, his famous saying, the float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, there was, there's purpose behind that. There's reason that he would say that. Any of us that are of the older generation, when we remember, I caught the tail end of his career. And if you remember when Muhammad Ali was in the ring and he would box, he made boxing look pretty. I mean, he just, it looked like he was just floating on air and, and he was so smooth in his punches and just everything looked so good. Just like a butterfly, it's, it's graceful, it's, it's beautiful, it was quick. But if you've ever been stung by a bee, those little things pack a punch, man. I got stung right there in between my knuckles one time, 
and it hurt so bad. And that's why he would say, float like a butterfly, sting like the bee. You know what? I make this boxing thing look good, but you better watch out because I will knock you out. He looked pretty, but he could punch too. And there's a lot of Christians that we look good on the outside. We come to church, we carry our Bible, we raise our hands during praise and worship. Everything looks good on the outside, but on the inside, there is no sting to our life. There is no power behind us. I'm going to tell you right now, power only comes from Christ and the Holy Spirit. It only comes from not knowing about Jesus, but knowing who He is. It's about having a relationship with Him, not just a follower of Jesus, not just a fan of Jesus, but a truly committed follower of who He is. So here's my question for you this morning. Are you just a fan? Do you cheer Him on only when things are going good? Do you worship Him when you're blessed? Do you live out this Christian life, but you're not really in the game? See, that, that, that's a fan. Or are you a follower that when times are good and when times are bad, you worship and praise anyways? Whether you receive that blessing you asked for, you're going to worship and love him anyways because your love will never end for him. That even when times get hard and you say, God, how could you allow this to happen? But either way, I know that you're testing my faith and I'm going to come out victorious on this. Are you a follower to the point that when you go back home to your family, that your life causes your entire family to go to church on Christmas Eve when they never have? Are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? Because those are two majorly different things. Go with me to John chapter 10. We're getting ready to close. John chapter 10. In verse 27 out of the New Living Translation, it says this. Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I, I, I love how he's saying there that no one can take us away from him. No one can pull us away. How can you go from knowing God, not knowing about him, but knowing God, and then not serving him anymore? God right here says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. But at the beginning, I love how he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. It doesn't say they're magical, huge, miraculous fans of mine. It says they follow me. Not just when it's going good, but all the time they follow. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.